Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Well, it's, um, oh, I love coming here. Um, as David said, I, um, I've been coming here a long time. Um, we won't say how long, because that makes me feel really old. I'm starting to get old. <laughs> um, but yes, I was, here's a student, and in, we were in, actually in, um, by the South Bank when I joined, and then the Piccadilly Circus, and I met Johnny, my husband, and I've had, I have three children, which is amazing, um, Maddie and Josiah, and this little guy in Stockwell, I almost said his name. I don't really share the name before they're born. So, <laughs> hurdle, another hurdle crossed or whatever, jumped. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, I'm not wearing my wedding ring, which I also pointed out in Stockwell because this pregnancy has covered me in itchy bumps. One is right under my wedding ring, but I, on the way to church, I thought, oh, that's quite weird. I'm not wearing it, but I, I am married, guys. Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> really flattering myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's um, lovely to be here and to see some really old um, faces, not old faces, but like well-known. <laughs> um, <laughs> and a lot of new ones, which I really love. I just, I, I love getting to see what God's doing um, across Christchurch. And um, we are finishing this series on Jesus the King. And today we are talking about the spirit of the risen king. Um, so this is, um, <coughs> the, sorry, are there slides? Yes. Oh, they're there. Oh, oh, that's nice for me. Um, <laughs> uh, and basically we're talking about the uh, Pentecost and the events that happened in Acts chapter 2 for, on Pentecost. Um, last week in the church calendar was Pentecost Sunday, but because of scheduling all the preachers and the right preachers. Um, we're covering it today, so I hope you don't mind. Um, well, we're going to read um, some of Acts chapter 2 in a, in a moment, but before I do, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a picture of what's going on before we jump into it. Um, <clears throat> so what is going on is that it's actually a Jewish festival um, called the Feast of Harvest at Pentecost. Um, so um, you might know that when when the Pentecost, the Acts 2 events happened, Jews from all over the world were in Jerusalem to celebrate and to give thanks for the harvest, the wheat harvest, I think, beginning of summer. And um, <clears throat> so that's what's going on in Jerusalem. Um, and at the same time, of course, we've been learning about the events in the life of Jesus, and he had died and uh, was resurrected and hang out with the hung out with the disciples for a bit, and then was ascended um, to heaven. His his body was descended, ascended into heaven, and he told them before he went to wait in Jerusalem, because they would receive the Holy Spirit. So that's what they've been doing. They've been praying together. They've been patiently waiting, probably not sure what this event was going to look like because um, people were not filled with the Holy Spirit um, so far. It, it hadn't happened. So I can only imagine that they must have been waiting and wondering, what is this event going to be? What is it going to look like? What's going to happen to us when this happens? But you know, they're, they, they love Jesus. They're obedient to him. So they're they are praying and they're waiting. And then we come into Acts chapter 2. So um, the words will come up, but this is Acts chapter 2 from verse 1 through to verse 21. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. 
Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native tongue? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you supposed. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Sorry, guys. Now, to <clears throat> unpack this story and this event, uh, what I want to do is actually kind of zoom out um, of the story and take a look at the story of humans and God, um, this story that we see throughout from the very beginning of the Bible, actually right through to the very, very end, to help us kind of place this event and understand the significance of it and what is happening. I think to understand why the significance of this, we have to understand that God's central desire throughout the Bible from the beginning is to have a place where God and humanity can coexist, where they can be together, where they can commune together. Now, this starts in the very beginning when God creates this world as we know it and everything that we see, and he creates man and woman in his image, and he is with them in the Garden of Eden. God's personal presence is there with Adam and Eve. We have this picture in Genesis 3 of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, looking for Adam and Eve. I feel like that is a picture of the heart of God, that he is walking, looking for his people to walk with them. 
If you want any picture of who God is, it's of a God who is looking for you, who wants to be with you, wants to walk with you, wants to know you and be known by you. That is our God. This is what God wants, to be with his people. And of course, he gives them a choice, though, in the garden, and he says, this one tree, if you eat from this one tree, this bond between us, what we enjoy, this community that you are a part of with me, this bond will be broken. And of course, uh, they're too curious and too eager to, um, to try it, and they're tempted, and they, they eat from the tree. And in fact, the bond is broken, and they leave that garden. Now, it's not like at that point God is like, okay, well, humans have chosen what they've chosen, and, uh, you know, that's the way it will be. They'll, they'll go and they'll live on their own. No, he's pursuing the people, and he is pursuing a place where he can be with them. Now, for lots of very complex theological reasons, which I can't even say I fully understand, but God's presence is is holy, is almost dangerous for a human to be in. And humans had broken this bond. So what God does is he creates physical spaces, tabernacles or temples, where people could go and he gave them instructions and they could meet with the presence of God in a very kind of contained and structured way. But the temple, the tabernacle and the temple, so we have the... um, I think there's a picture here of the tabernacle. So the the tabernacle, and then later the next picture is the temple. Um, they had very in the Old Testament. You may have read, and they're very long. And but this time I got so into this, and I was like, oh my goodness, there's reasons for all of these in- specific instructions. And actually, a lot of the specific instructions are to remind the people as they're cu- building a temple or the tabernacle and going into it that this is a place where God wants to be with his people. And the way he's reminding them is so much of the tabernacle and the temple would have reminded them of the garden where God was communing with his people. It was full of imagery of of flora and fauna and um, even building the tabernacle was specific days. They had to do specific things. And actually those steps mirror Genesis 1 the beginning of Genesis where creation, um, where God um, creates everything. It's supposed to remind them, oh yeah, God wants to create this place for us to meet with him. That's what so much of these instructions were about. And even, for example, the menorah in the temple, there should be a picture. Um, This would have um, been in the temple and it's uh, supposed to remind the Jews of the, the tree of life, just another example of the imagery, the tree of life that was in the center of the Garden of Eden. So much of this imagery would have been reminding them, God wants them to remember the garden, which he's longing for, that communion with people. Um, now, the Old Testament is also full of stories of the people of God kind of going against God and idolatry and them then worshiping 
other things and other gods and um, turning away from God in the temples, being destroyed or becoming corrupted. And it's just not a long-term plan for God to be with his people. It's by no means a perfect plan, but it's not the long-term plan. Because then we see um, in the Gospels, Jesus being born. Now, interestingly, the beginning of for John 1 is, again, full of language that would have reminded Jewish readers of Genesis, the beginning of Genesis, the darkness, the hovering of the Spirit. And then it says in chapter 14 in John 1, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. But a more literal translation of this is He pitched His tent among us or He tabernacled. So immediately we would know in this reading, oh, this is a temple. This is where God's Spirit is going to be. This Jesus is like is, is, is now the, the, the space where God's presence will dwell. God was now meeting with his people through his son, through Jesus, through a person. And actually, Jesus announces during his life that it's the end of the temple kind of times, the end of the tabernacle and the temple. He drives out those who are corrupting the temple. And he says to them at one point in um, John 2, he says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days. But the temple he was speaking of was his body. He would be raised in three days. He was now the temple. And so in the life of Jesus, we get this picture of what it looks like for God to be with his people, to walk around with his people. He was, um, he was fun. He was full of life. He was fascinating and interesting for people to be around. They wanted to be where he was. He had authority when he spoke and gentleness and kindness when he interacted with people and healed them. And they saw these kind of supernatural things happening when Jesus operated and was with them. They could see, oh, this is the space now where God is, and we want to be there. We want to be with Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus um, is obedient to the even longer-term plan of God to be with his people, and he is crucified um, by the people so this in some ways for the disciples must have, and for the, the, anyone following Jesus must have been so confusing. This, this man who is now carrying the presence of God into this world, into our midst, is dead. But of course he comes back. He is victorious over death. He also makes an end to the need for all of that sacrifice and um, ritual to be in God's presence through his death. And he, he ascends, and everyone's excited about that. Um, sorry, he comes back to life, and everyone is so happy and excited. But then he, of course, goes back into heaven, and, and this is where we're left. But then there's this moment in history, this Pentecost moment, where they realize, oh, his, the presence of God will not forever just be in one man on this earth. The presence of God now fills every one of the followers with the presence of God. 
The temple is now and continues to be the people of God, the church, us, you, me. If you are a follower of God today, then you are the very place now where God is choosing for heaven and earth to intersect. You are the place where God is coming to meet with this world you might be familiar with some of these very famous passages in the, Old, in the New Testament, but it is full of kind of temple references in reference to us now. I'll read a few of them. Do you not know that you are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in you? Do you not know that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? For we are the temple of the living God. As God says, I will make my dwelling place among them and walk among them. Such a reminder, isn't it, of Genesis 3. And I will be their God and they will be my people. So then you are no longer strangers or aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone with whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's so amazing. I, <laughs> as I was writing this, I was just blown away by the zoom out and to see the weaving of all of this story coming together and that you and I now get to enjoy the presence of God in us. We can take it for granted, but when we think back to everything that's happened and all of the followers of God that have gone before us, we are so privileged um, to enjoy being the temples ourselves. So what did this look like um, for the disciples? Um, well, pretty crazy, actually. Um, <laughs> for one, they could do supernatural things um, that they wouldn't have been able to do without the Spirit. So they're speaking, obviously, the big one here is they're speaking in other languages that they wouldn't have known otherwise. Um, in, in Joel, in the Old, the Old Testament prophecy that... Um, that is referenced that we, we hear a lot about prophecy, seeing God's reality and being able to understand what God is doing, dreaming dreams and seeing visions. And that later in the um, book of Acts, we see many healings um, in the name of Jesus. The Holy Spirit heals people through them. But also there's just amazing emotional changes as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So Peter is preaching like he's amazing, no? He's just full of courage and boldness, and he stands up with the 11 as this crowd is gathering, and he explains everything. And this is Peter, who had denied Jesus. He was so scared. He was so scared. And now he's, throughout Acts, putting his life on the line for the gospel. That's not his own courage. That's, he's being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you, like me, get really scared and anxious, we can experience courage from the Holy Spirit. We don't need to suck it up or rely on, I mean, not that I'm against, like, <laughs> um, other strategies, but the Holy Spirit can give us the courage that we need, especially in terms of standing for God and doing his work in this world. 
But also the disciples are filled with, it says that when they're speaking in other languages, um, they're declaring the wonders of God. It fills us with worship. The Holy Spirit will fill you with worship for God, with love for God. If you feel dry, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. If you feel like you would love to be worshiping God, but that's a struggle for you, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. And very lastly, they just have these abilities which um, seem to, <laughs> to have come from heaven. So this winsomeness and uh, they're, throughout Acts, they're making decisions with, with wisdom and they have words to speak. And also when they do things, they're, um, they're fruitful. And all of that is from the Holy Spirit. Now, what's incredible is that so many of us in this room will have stories like those we read in the book of Acts, um, which is just amazing. In this church, I've learned personally to uh, do this stuff, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to trust him to, to, to do things through me. Um, I was trying to think of some of my favorite stories of being filled with the Holy Spirit and dreaming dreams or prophesying and healing. And um, I, I would encourage you as well to kind of right now think of your favorite stories, if you have some, of the Holy Spirit working through you. Because it, it, remembering these stories gave me so much faith um, for, for my life now and for my future that the Holy Spirit has done things through me. I remembered this one amazing dream I had one of my favorite things the Holy Spirit's done in me, well, to me. Um, uh, many years ago, I spent a very formative time in my life working in um, northern Uganda, which had been through lots of conflict, and going there was very, very um, uh, costly for me and um, in terms of my, my safety and my well-being, and it all ended very badly, and I came back. Uh, I had a big relational breakdown with... Um, with a person there and I had to leave. <clears throat> I was in my early 20s and I just came back so broken. And um, a few months after I had come back to London, I had this dream where I was asleep in the dust in the middle of this displaced people's camp in northern Uganda where I'd been living. And I was being woken up by the sound of singing. And I looked around and I could see all of these people from the camp coming out of the trees. And um, they were, I knew in the dream that they were going to church. Hardly anyone um, there went to church, actually. It wasn't, and um, a lot of other stuff, really um, dark stuff was actually going on there. But these people, so many people going to church. And then, it, this is the only time this has happened to me. Um, hopefully, I'll have more of these in my lifetime. But I was given a, a specific verse in Mark to read. So I went to this um, little parable in Mark when I woke up. Um, and it was amazing. It was about, it was a story about a farmer who goes out and sows seed, and he goes to sleep, and it rains, and the sun shines, and he goes about his life, and one day he notices that a great crop is growing in his field, and I, I, I mean, it was just amazing. I just thought, oh, okay, I sowed a seed, and that's all I needed to do, and the rest is up to God, and that's completely changed the way I view um, any work I do for God now, um, it really uh, was a transformative dream. That's the Holy Spirit. I didn't even, I didn't know that parable. I, there's no way I could have, I could have 
come up with that myself. So how amazing. The Holy Spirit gives dreams. He gives visions. He gives healing. I don't know if, again, in Christchurch, I remember being one of my first times praying for healing. Being the, It was the mother of a friend in Christchurch, and she'd had migraines for years and years very regularly, um, every few weeks. And she asked me to pray for her, and I was like, Okay, um, I sowed a seed. I just prayed in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit would heal her. I remember hearing through my friend months later that the mom had not had a single migraine. It was nothing to do with me, but I opened myself up to the Holy Spirit, and he is still doing these things. There are parts of the world where the Holy Spirit is moving in great power and Many people are receiving dreams and visions and coming to faith. We long for that, don't we, here? He is doing that, and we call out. Let's call out on the Holy Spirit. Let's be available. Let's be prayerful people who desire this, who burn for this, um, because this is he's still in the business of Acts 2. Now, the amazing thing the, actually, the first thing that struck me about Acts 2 when I read it was that, <clears throat> wait, am I in the right place? Yes. Um, <clears throat> that it's not actually just that when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the disciples, it's not just that um, God and those disciples are enjoying that being together and um, they're filled with his presence and they're encouraged and wow, that would be, I mean, that would be amazing uh, uh, in and of itself, if that was all that happened. And sometimes I think I can think of it like that, like we get filled with the Holy Spirit, like at church or when we spend time with God on our own and it encourages us and builds us up and it does. But in Acts 2, um, <laughs> that's actually not what's happening. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the moment that they are filled and that sound fills the building and they're speaking in other tongues, in that very moment, the, the people in the streets notice and come to see what's happening. And they ask, what does this mean? And they listen to Peter and thousands of people end up responding to, his, to, the, to the preaching of the gospel. So it's not like the Spirit comes and he, he fills the disciples and it's, it's really nice. And they, um, you know, they do that for a while and then they, they make a plan and they get trained up and they make a strategy and then... They, they go to, to tell people about what had happened. That's not what happened. The Spirit comes, and in that very moment, it flows out through them and affects the world around them. That's the nature of the Spirit. It's the natural flow of the Spirit. We're not actually filled with the Spirit for our own comfort and encouragement, though that does happen. But we are filled with the Spirit because God's presence is now not in a temple where people need to come and make sacrifices and come to him. He is now going out. It looks really different. And he is going out to the Jews, and then he goes out to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world. He is interested in every person on this planet and getting to know them. And that is going to happen through me and through you because we are now the temple and the spirit flows out through us. Jesus says in John 7, he who believes in me, as a scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Not pools, not buckets, not lakes, rivers. Rivers 
move. Rivers flow. You can't keep a river back. It gushes forward and brings life. I don't know if you've ever heard this um, little analogy, which I've told so many times doing kids' work and heard so many times about, you know, we are a bucket and we get filled with Holy Spirit like we get filled with water. But unfortunately, there's a little leak at the bottom and we drip and we have to be filled with the water every day, which, you know, it is, it is helpful in some ways, but it's, it's, uh, <laughs> that's not what it looks like. We're not a bucket with a little drip at the bottom. We are rivers. The Spirit flows through you like a river when you get filled. This language, again, going back to the whole story, this language goes right through the Bible. In the Garden of Eden... In Genesis 2, we're told that a river flows out of the garden. In Ezekiel 47, there's a very famous prophetic kind of vision he gets of the future temple, which is the church. And it says this, listen to how amazing this prophetic vision is. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple. So he's seeing a temple. It's symbolic. I saw water coming from under the threshold of the temple. Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the Dead Sea, the salty water becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be a large number of fish because this, because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Where the river flows, everything will live. If you are follower of God, you are a temple of the living God, you yourself, and you have been chosen as the vessel through which God wants to irrigate the dead seas of the world around you. Where you see dead seas, no fish alive, no vegetation, no life. You, through you, the Spirit wants to flow and bring life to the dead seas. Now, that can sound like a lot of pressure. <laughs> like, how do we do that? How do we bring, you know, how can we be so courageous? And, um, and I get really overwhelmed by this. And I, you know, I make so many plans for like mission and they don't always go very well because I like over plan. And then I, yeah, with my, my poor connect group, uh, Johnny and I lead a connect group and we've had so many ideas and none of them work. And, oh. But anyway, <laughs> So far, so far, maybe, maybe some it's coming. But, um, but you know, I want to see my community, uh, the community around me where I live. I want to see the river flow. But as I was reading this, I was thinking, you know what? As I get filled with the Holy Spirit, I don't need some incredible plan. Plans are great, and maybe God will give me a great plan one day. But, but in one sense, it's inevitable because it's the nature of the Spirit that it will flow through me. All I need to do, all the disciples did was receive. And as we are filled with the Holy, as we just focus on being filled with the Holy Spirit, as we focus on being with God and receiving from him, it will naturally flow. People will ask around us, 
what does this mean? This person has so much peace. What does this mean? What is it? This person has words to speak to me that seem to come from something else. What does this mean? This person has so much love in their heart. What does this mean? It's natural that the Spirit will flow because that is the nature of the Spirit. The responsibility on us is simply to be filled, to be open. I wonder if the band wouldn't mind coming back up and um, I'll I'd love to pray for us. And that's, that is actually really my prayer for um, us all today, is that, that God would remove from us any heaviness, any sense of failure in evangelism or mission or whatever you want to call it, reaching the dead seas of our world, the world around us that we see, that he would remove from us the sense of responsibility because this story has been going on since the beginning of time and God's not relying on us to have loads of solutions and good ideas, but those things come because the spirit flows. And sometimes like in Acts 2, he will operate in ways that completely catch us off guard because he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing with this world, as we have seen, as we've looked back through church history. Um, but yeah, why don't we stand and I'll, I'll pray for us. I'll pray that for us. Holy Spirit, we now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I pray, river of life, Spirit of God, flow through your people. Flow through your people. We pray, flow, flow into what we know are dead seas. Show us right now, God, where the dead seas are in our world, in our lives. And we ask, Spirit, flow there. As you fill us, would you go there? Would you go into this world? We pray for family members, friends, flatmates, colleagues, where we know you are so desperately needed, your life. We pray flow there through us. We are just human, but you are the living God. You are the holy of holies. You are the savior of the world. You are the king of the universe. In you, 
On you rests all authority and power. In you is all gentleness and love and kindness. So would you flow through us in all our weakness, in all our frailty, in all our own brokenness, would you flow out through us, Holy Spirit? Fill us now in the name of Jesus. Amen.